Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'll tell you guys, like I told the first service, a couple weeks ago I was talking to um, Lori Stiefel, who's over the kids department, and uh, we were just talking, and I said, yeah, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking in a couple weeks, and she was like, yes, and I was like, you're not even going to be in there. She's like, but we'll be out early. And I was like, that's, that's fair. We, we will be out early today. So if you did have lunch plans, it's going to be a little earlier than normal. Um, I'm not as, um, not as gifted as Pastor Drew when it comes to speaking. That man can preach for an hour and it seems like 30 minutes because it's all just relevant and it's good. And there's tons of good nuggets to, to, be, to take out of it. And then when I go to speak, it's like, here's one little nugget. There you go. And so, that's right. So, real quick, too, there's going to be a lot of scripture reading today. Um, I'm, I'm all about that. But as much as I love to read scripture, I'm not very good at reading scripture, if that makes any sense. Uh, I get that from my dad. My dad's name was also Don. And so, uh, at my old church, the church I grew up in, we were Pentecostal, Pentecostal church. And the, uh, the, the, the ministers that would preach would preach like they had asthma. Anybody know, that, know about that? I want to thank the Lord. Ha! Ha! At the end of everything. So what they like to do in those, those, those churches is a lot of those ministers, they'll get someone else on the side to read the word for them so that they can just stay. And, they, yeah, ha! They can do their Ha! Right? So they would have a minister or they would have someone on the side that would read the word. And as they would go, they'd go, okay, stop. And they would give a point. And then they would read some more and they'd say, okay, stop. Well, we had a guest evangelist come through the, come through the church. And he made the terrible mistake of asking my dad to read. And so my dad gets up there and he's like, okay, I've never done this before. Cool, you know. And gets up there and he starts to read. And any time it was a word he could not pronounce, he would just say, hard word. <laughs> so this, this minister was going to preach for like 30 minutes out of this one chapter. Like it was like the whole chapter. And like my dad's in like verse 2, and he's already going hard word. And the evangelist about the fourth scripture in realized that like I picked the wrong guy today. So he had to switch to someone else. I say all that to say there may be some words in this that I may get wrong. So I apologize now. But I do feel like the Lord has given me something for the congregation. The reason I know that is I also feel that most times with most ministers, when they get up to speak, sometimes it feels like on, when we're on that side of it that he's preaching at us. But can I tell you that like, he's preaching to himself? Like the Lord allows us to go through things so that we can relate to our brothers and sisters in Christ. I really feel that. Um, me and my wife have had a few things going on uh, the last couple months, and I really feel like the Lord gave me something, and I don't think it's just for me. Um, I think that this church is in a transition spot, and it's a beautiful thing. The last few months have just been really sweet, the, the freedom that has been in here. There's been a freedom in this church ever since I've been here, but I'm seeing a maturity within the congregation and within me, right, not just you guys, but me too, of the Lord wanting to open some things up to us. Uh, in line with what's been uh, taught on, I'm going to 
uh, one of the greatest hits. I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. It's a great story. Um, and there's some things in there I think that we can learn from it. Because I think we've been called to be giant killers. But we want to celebrate that. We want to be giant killers, but there's a process to that. Right? So we're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, verse 40. It says, He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then, armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the name of, names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. But David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head, and then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. As Goliath moved closer to attack David, or I'm sorry, as Goliath moved, moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. Like, this guy's ready to go. Like, there's no hesitation. It says he runs out to meet him. Reaching into his shepherd's bag and taking out a stone, he hurled it with his sling and hit the Philistine in the forehead. The stone sank in and Goliath stumbled and fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with only a sling and a stone, for he had no sword. Then David ran over and pulled Goliath's sword from its sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. And that's like the part we celebrate, like, yes, we're going to be like David. We're going to, with a sling, with our prayer, that's all we got. We're going to take out this Goliath that's in our life. We're going to take out this giant that's in our life. And I think the Lord is wanting us to get to a place where we're ready to be giant killers. But there's a little bit to this story before this happens. And I think that's where we're at at the moment. Because, see, I think there's some giants that's supposed to be killed for your life and over your kids' lives. I think there's generational curses that the Lord is wanting to break. I've sensed that for the last few months. That there's some generational curses. You've had fathers, you've had grandfathers have said, this is how it's always been in our family. There's always been drug addiction. There's always been alcoholism. There's always been anger. There's always been anxiety. And I think the Lord is trying to tell us it's time to kill some giants. But before that, we have to go through a process and be prepared for it. So we're going to go back to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Starting at verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, You have mourned long enough for Saul. I have rejected him as king of Israel. So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there, for I have selected one of his sons to be my king. But Samuel asked, How can I do that? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. Take a heifer with you, the Lord replied, and say that you have come to make sacrifice to the Lord. Isn't it cool how, like, 
Samuel is questioning God here. Like, how can I do that? Saul's going to find out he's going to kill me. And the Lord doesn't even really answer that question. He just goes, take a heifer. Like, just get on. You know what you're supposed to do. Take a heifer and say that you've come to make sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you which one of his sons to anoint for me. So Samuel did as the Lord instructed. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town came trembling to meet him. What's wrong, they asked. Do you come in peace? Now listen, just that is pretty crazy to think that like in this time period, the king is here, but the prophet is still a little bit more. They're like, oh man, Samuel's coming to the town. What's this mean for us? Is this good? Is this going to be good or bad? Is he, is he having a good day? Is God angry with us? But he says, Samuel said, yes, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Purify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then Samuel performed the purification rite for Jesse and his sons and invited them to, to the sacrifice too. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Don't judge by his appearance or his height. Don't judge him by his past. Don't judge him by what's in the closet, so to speak. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons that you have? Like, is this it? Jesse replied, there is still the youngest, but he's out in the field watching the sheep and the goats. Now, like right here, we can see that this relationship between father and son is not good. Because Jesse knows that Samuel is there to anoint one of his sons. And David's not even crossed his mind. David's out in the field. There's one translation that talks about that Jesse said that David was the Hakatan, that he was the worthless one. So we see here that there's not a good relationship between father and son. But David's got another relationship with the father. Because what we see here is he's out in the field. Well, we know what he's doing out in the field. Jesse may not have a clue what's going on, or maybe he does, and that freaks him out. All of my other kids are big and strong, but Jesse's out in the field with his harp singing. What the heck, right? Like, that could be the thought process here. Like, what's going on? Why is he wanting to do this? But we see that David is in the fields singing songs unto the Lord. We know that because we know the scripture. That's what he's doing. He's in his secret place. His father doesn't care for him. We don't know much about his mom or anything, really. I don't think about his mom. But we don't know it. We know that his father and his relationship isn't good. So he has found refuge with the sheep where he can sing unto the Lord. That's his secret place. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. 
So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel turned to, returned to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord had left Saul, and the Lord sent a tormenting spirit that filled him with depression and fear. <laughs> the Lord sent it. You see, the Lord's about to open some doors for David. Some of Saul's servants said to him, A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you. Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever the tormenting spirit troubles you. He will play soothing music, and you will soon be well again. All right, said Saul. Find me someone who plays well and bring him here. One of the servants said to Saul, One of Jesse's sons from Bethlehem is a talented harp player. Not only that, he is a brave warrior, a man of war, and has good judgment. And then they add this, he's also a fine-looking young man, and the Lord is with him. Because I feel like at this point we still realize Saul's still worried about his image too. So David went to Saul and began serving him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. Then Saul sent word to Jesse asking, Please let David remain in my service, for I am very pleased with him. And whenever the tormenting spirit from God troubled Saul, David would play the harp, then Saul would feel better, and the tormenting spirit would go away. Can I just tell you, like, when you live in the secret place, the Lord will open the doors for you. Like, you don't have to, David has done nothing to go, hey, I'm a really good harp player. Like, I would be of good service to the king. You need me. And I think that's how sometimes we are. Like, we've been given some gifts, and we start trying to push doors down, and it's the wrong doors. And instead of trying to make our own way and to create our own space, allow the Lord to open those doors. I was asked just a week or so ago by someone, they said, how did you know that you were called to lead worship? And I told them, I said, you know, I don't know that I ever had a moment of, oh, you will be a worship leader. Sing to the people. There was, none of, there was none of that. There was none of that. But there was an anointing the Lord put on me. But what I found was like, I said, the reason I knew I was called was like, there was an anointing and like God opened the doors smoothly. There was nothing of me going, hey, I'm available. Use me. Come on. Let's do this. It just seemed like the doors opened very, very smoothly. Almost too smoothly at times. It was like, okay, is this really? This seems a little too easy. But it always worked out. First Samuel chapter 17, we're going to skip down a little bit to verse 8. Goliath stood and shouted a taunt across to the Israelites. Why are you all coming out to fight, he called. I am the Philistine champion, but you are only the servants of Saul. Choose one man to come down here and fight me. If he kills me, then he will be your slaves. Then we will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, 
they were terrified and deeply shaken. Now David was the son of a man named Jesse, an Ephrathite from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. Jesse was an old man at the time, and he had eight sons. Jesse's three oldest sons, Eliab, Abinadab, and Shemiah, had already joined Saul's army to fight the Philistines. David was the youngest son. David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army. But this verse hits so hard for me. Verse 15, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem. What can we learn from this? For David, the secret place was priority. That's what's priority. So many times, like in ministry, we begin to serve the work of God more than the God of the work. We begin to serve the call of God more. We get so busy with everything else in our lives and the things that we know that God has called us to do, whether it be to reach that person at your work or get up here on a Sunday and sing a song. And we totally forget to go back to our first love. We forget to go back to his presence. And then the only time we do is when things get hard. When hell busts loose in your life, then it's, okay, now I need to go back to the secret place. Right? That's when we go back. Or I need a word. Man, I've got a big decision that's coming up. Do I move? Do I move across the country or do I not? Do I change jobs? I need direction, Lord. Okay, now I need to go back to the secret place. Now, now, now I'll pray. Now I'll fast. Because I need something. And then that's not a relationship out of love. That's a relationship of hidden agendas. Of like, okay, I'm going to love you because what you can do for me. And like, that just doesn't, I just don't feel like the Lord is pleased with that. Like, we are supposed to do more than that. So we have to be like David. We have to find a secret place and make it priority. So for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. One day, Jesse said to David, Take the basket of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give these ten cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. David's brothers were with Saul and the Israelite army at the valley of Elah, fighting against the Philistines. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early the next morning with the gifts, as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistine forces stood facing each other, army against army. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. Sounded a little bit like that. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, 
and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. I'm in on that. Right? David asked the soldier standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Can you like hear this holy anger in David? Like he's not happy about this situation. He's, he's upset. And these men gave David the same reply. They said, yes, that is, that is the reward for killing him. But David's older brother Eliab heard David talking to the men and he was angry. So you've got a jealous older brother here that realizes that he's not the one that, that Samuel anointed, right? And he goes, what are you doing around here anyway, he demanded. What about those few sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? I know about your pride and deceit. You just want to see the battle. It's crazy how, like, sometimes the people that should be the closest to you will hurt you the most, even in a genuine moment, where, like, it's, it's very evident in this moment that the, Lord has, that the Lord has prepared David for what's about to come and kill a giant. And in the moment where he's doing what his father has asked, where he's going to go take care of his brothers, a holy anger comes upon him because he hears that his, that his Lord is being defied. A holy anger comes upon him, and he steps out asking questions about this. And the older brother's like, we know why you're out here. You're full, of, you're full of it, right? The Lord will use family. Sometimes the Lord will use church family, right? Man, I can remember there used to be a running thing that we would say at my old church, church I grew up in. You would get like a baby Christian. Someone who had never experienced the Spirit of the Lord. And they would like dedicate their, their heart. They would give their heart to the Lord. They would get baptized. They would come up speaking in other tongues. Like all of the things. And they were so full of energy. Of like, man, I can't wait to go to work and tell everybody what I've experienced. And you would see that energy from them. And there was always at least one person that was like the professional Christian that had been in the church for 20 years, 30 years. And they go, that'll wear off. That'll wear off. And like I see that here. Like David is showing this holy anger. He's ready to go to war. He's like, what's going on? His brother's like, you need to, you need to simmer down. Can I encourage you, don't simmer down. Like if God's called you to do it, do it. So he says, David says, what have I done now? I was only asking a question. He walked over to some others and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Then David's question was reported to King Saul and the king sent for him. Don't worry about the Philistine or the Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy and he's been a man of war since his youth. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. He said, when a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and club it to death. 
I have done this both to lions and bears, and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from the Philistines. Can I tell you that I think one of our problems is that we want to kill giants, but we haven't killed the lion or the bear yet? We haven't spent any time in the secret place for the Lord to develop those gifts in us to where when the minor things happen, we don't just jump off the rails. He had, he's trying to prepare us to kill giants, but that means we got to fight lions and bears. But where is, where is David fighting these lions and bears? In the secret place. I don't know what that lion and bear is for you, Right? But I can tell you for me, it's funny how like when I get into the secret place and seek after the Lord, that's when all the crud that I thought was hidden comes to the top. Like the unforgiveness that I thought I was over rears its head up. Lord, I want to get close to you. And then all of a sudden I get that phone call or when I'm scrolling Facebook later, I see someone that maybe wronged me. And I'm like, ooh, I, I thought I was over that. But every time that certain subject matters are brought up, specifically with church hurt, right? Like different churches can be brought up in conversation. And I immediately want to go to the negative. And in times, just being real with you guys, I celebrate their failures. And in those moments, it's like you're not a giant killer yet, bro. Because you still got this lion that I'm trying to help, help, help you defeat in your secret place. I'm trying to bring you into the secret place so that I can help you with anger. I can help you with fear. Hmm. When you live in the secret place, you realize the small battles that you face are preparing you to be a giant killer. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul gave David, his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped the sword over it, and took a step or two to see what, was like, what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested to Saul. I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. Told you guys this was going to be short. I'm at the end. So like, I wrestled last night with the Lord on this. I was like, how do you want me to end this? Because I had two different thoughts. The one thought is when David put on the armor and realized that it didn't work. But if we look further ahead where we were at earlier it says that he was his armor bearer that he found favor with Saul and now he's his armor bearer and at some point in this I'm wondering like this is just me there's no scripture to back this up but while David's taking care of this armor is there moments where he's like man I really wish this was mine I really wish I could wear this man this looks so nice I'm just a shepherd I sure would like to wear this armor. And then he puts it on, and then he realizes, oh, this, I can't do this. This isn't going to work. 
How many times have we wanted something, like a goal? We see a goal out there, and there's nothing wrong with goals. But we see it, we're like, once I get that, then I'll be satisfied. Just to get it and realize I still struggle with anger. I still struggle with lust. I still struggle with fear. I still struggle with all these things. But I thought the pay raise was going to fix it. And it doesn't. And then my other thought, and this is, what I, this is what I'll end with. Saul wanted to send out a shepherd dressed like a king, but David realized he is a shepherd who fights like a shepherd. What I think happens is the world has one type of armor that logically we should wear. The world would tell us that, man, you fight a giant called anxiety. You know what you need? You need this armor that's called distraction. Just stay distracted because then you won't focus on the anxiety. Stay busy. Stay busy. Do all the other things. Stay at work 60, 70, 80 hours. Just stay busy. Keep your mind busy on all the things that are not of the Lord because it's tangible. Because sometimes the secret place, it's in the still small voice. It's not the loud shaking of the mountains and the earthquakes. It's a still small voice that the Lord wants to minister to us in. But our flesh doesn't like that because we want answers now. And I can get on this, mo- I can get on this at any moment. And every five seconds have a different video to watch that can keep my mind busy instead of dealing with the issues that are going on in my home. Right? The world would say, man, you know, there's a, there's a giant called sex addiction. You know what you need? You need this armor called marriage. Because you're going to get married, and that's going to make everything go away. That's going to make all the lust go away. That's not how that works. Maybe the giant that you're facing is acceptance. I just want to be accepted. I just want to have a group of people that will accept me. God would call you to himself. But the world would say, you need to put on this armor called religion. You need to join this group of people and just go with whatever they say just so that you're accepted so you can say, hey, I'm one of the group. Maybe your giant is unforgiveness. The world would say, put on this armor. You're justified. That person wronged you. You're allowed to not forgive those people. And we walk around in our daily life with these giants taunting us. Because unlike David... We put on the armor that the world says, this is right. This feels good. It's a little clunky. But you can, you can get by. You can get by in moments. But that's not the armor that the Lord has for us. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Because we're not. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, whether we like it or not. Right? Here we love it. But when someone doesn't agree with us, it's really easy for us to go, we're a child of God and they're a sinner. But at the end of the day, we're both his kids. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. i got to go back for a second. The family member that hurt you is still a child of God. And that hurts to know that the God that loves you so passionately loves them just as passionately. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times. At all times. And on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. He's wanting to take us back to the secret place. And I don't know how long it's been for you since you've, you've been there. But he's calling you back to it. To make him priority. To make prayer time priority. We don't talk about fasting nearly enough. But there's something powerful in it. Because it's denying the flesh. And can I tell you, I've, I've done some different fasts where it's like, you know, I'm not going to fast from food. But I'm going to fast from social media. And can I just tell you, it just doesn't hit the same as when you say, you know what? I'm not going to eat. It's putting your flesh under subjection. And allowing the Holy Spirit to move in you. We can stand. I'm going to sing a song. And just give a few minutes for you guys to pray. Reintroduce yourself to the Lord in the secret place. Because I think the Lord's asking for that. There's some giants that he wants you to kill. For your kids. And for your grandkids. But you got to get reintroduced to the secret place. And the thing is, is we will allow sin to disconnect us. But can I tell you that God's still waiting on you? Like Adam and Eve are in the garden. And they fell miserably. 
and they realize that they're naked and they go and they hide. But it says that God came still in the cool of the day. And when like we have struggles and issues and we hear silence and we go, God, where are you? Can I tell you, I think that that role is reversed and God is speaking back, no, no, where are you? Like I've not left. I'm still meeting. I'm still wanting to meet with you. But because you fall and you've allowed the attack of the enemy to tell you that you're a failure and you failed at the same thing for the hundredth time, so you might as well give up. We begin to hide from our Father, but He's there. He's waiting on us. He's waiting on you in this moment to reconnect, to go, I'm ready to come back, Lord, to the secret place.